time I looked at his number, I would actually get anxiety because I knew that all he was going to do was to like relay the seller's agent message. And I was like, no. Adulting can be hard, even scary. Adulting Horror Stories shares intimate tales of adulting fails and insights into how to avoid them. Welcome back to another episode of Adulting Horror Stories. I'm your host, Dion, and today I'm here with good friend and fellow engineer, Agatha. How are you? I'm doing good, Dion. How are you? I'm doing great. So, for today's episode, we will talk about the millennial nightmare, home ownership. More specifically, buying a home. In line with that, I always go first. Today, rather than telling my own horror story, I've been given permission to share someone else's horror story. It's an interesting story. I think it's a little bit of a sad story. Like, I know this person and... It's something that I wouldn't want anyone to really go through, but it is what it is. So, I have a friend. Let's call him Jovan. His uncle Carl was getting financial advice from his son, Jovan's cousin. So let's call that cousin Richard. Richard convinced Carl to buy a house and rent it out for money, which is a reasonable, you know financial idea. I think a lot of people do it. And Carl liked the idea and he was ready to go through with it. But when he tried, he realized his credit score was too low to get the mortgage he needed. And it happened partly because he uses those, those like credit score tracker apps, but those apps sometimes, one, it's only an estimate of your credit score and two, they can update kind of slowly. So, Something that you did like last month may not be reflected on it yet, for example. And not really seeing another way out of it, Carl and Jovan have a really good relationship. He called him and it sounded like he was on the verge of tears. And he asked him, can you help me out with this? Jovan was a college student at the time, right? Like, it's not like he has a bunch of money himself, but he did have a good credit score at the time, just from um, inheriting it from his parents by being put on his parents' credit card and not doing anything stupid since. So they told him, all you would be providing is your credit score, right? You don't have to pay for anything. Just provide your credit score, sign a few forms or whatever. We'll handle everything else, the renovations, the renting process, and so on. And Javon debated it for a while. A lot of his friends told him not to do it. I told him not to do it. But eventually he agreed. This is where the the hints of horror start to come in. They said he wouldn't have to pay for anything. He ended up paying for the appraisal of the house and for the homeowner's insurance. Because Carl and Richard didn't have the money at the time. But they told him they would pay him back. And they did. Right? Not so bad. Later, though... After purchasing the house, they realized they needed to replace the carpet or they just wanted to replace the carpet to make it more hospitable to tenants. And so Carl tells him, well, since the three of us, you know, got into this business together, 
we should divide the cost of the carpet, which was like $1,800 to replace, we should divide it by three. And Jovan is like, this is not what we agreed to. Like, what the hell? But he ultimately agrees. The next issue arises with the actual tenants that they got. So normally, when you're renting out from like an apartment complex or wherever, a lot of times they ask for first month, last month, and security. Maybe they do a background check or ask for like proof of income, but different things to just make sure that you will be a good tenant. Carl and Richard didn't do any of that. They basically just found some friends they knew and let them move in. These were three people, a man, his girlfriend, and the man's cousin. The man the girlfriend had a baby. So the mortgage is in Jovan's name. So money gets pulled from Jovan's account to pay this mortgage every month, right? And ideally what should be happening is, let's say the the rent is 600, the mortgage is 500. Richard and Carl should collect their 600 and then pass 500 to Jovan for the mortgage payment. And for a month or two, the tenants hadn't been paying. And this was like early into them even moving in. And Richard is saying, yeah, they, they said they'll pay this month, but he doesn't know what's going on. And it's getting bad because once again, Jovan's a college student. He doesn't have that much money. It's not easy for him to just be having however much hundred dollars coming out of his account every month and not having it replaced. So he wants Carl to call the tenants and like ask what's going on because he didn't have the tenant's phone number. Carl tells him, well, since the house is in your name, you should call them. And once again, Jovan is pissed, but he does it. He needs to get the phone numbers for the tenants from Richard. When he asks for the phone number from them, Richard is hesitant, but he gives it to them. He gives Jovan the number. Jovan tries the number and it's not working. He tries it a bunch of times. He Googles the number to figure out, is this a active phone number? It's not working. He goes back to Richard and Richard is like, oh, that's my bad. I mixed up the numbers. And I thought that was suspicious because I'm thinking you're going to copy a phone number, like copy and paste out of your contacts list. You know, so how are you mixing up two numbers? Anyway, Jovan finally gets the right phone number. He calls the tenants and he realizes that the tenants had been paying their rent on time. However... Richard had been taking the money and just not passing on the mortgage payment the way he should have been. And Richard was lying about them not paying. On top of that, it turns out the air conditioner and it's it's in an area where like it gets pretty hot, where you need central cooling if you really want to manage the heat. So it's an expensive air conditioner. It hasn't been working And the tenants are like, why do we have to pay rent when we're burning up in this house and we have a baby? So now Javon is freaking out like, my cousin lied to me. These people are two months behind in rent, money that I don't have, that Richard doesn't have anymore. And they're of no obligation to pay any further beyond whatever the next month's rent is. And I have an air conditioner to fix. 
So he explains everything to Carl. Carl's not happy that they were being lied to either. But he's been very, like, let's say standoffish about the whole situation for a time. Maybe because it's his son and it's hard to be fully harsh on your children sometimes. But Richard basically works it out where he gives the tenants a free month of rent while they're working on fixing the air conditioner. The air conditioner is like thousands of dollars to fix. And it's not a, it's not an easy fix. So what basically happens is first they replace the air conditioner fluid as like a minor fix. But to do the full change, once again, you need to like take out a loan for the payment. No one between the three of them had enough money for the full cost of the air conditioner. And once again, they were struggling with taking out a loan because their credit scores have all fallen related to his house purchase and whatever other things they were doing. So if there were three tenants originally in that apartment, the couple, so the guy and the girlfriend and the baby just moved out without saying anything and left the cousin there alone, which was already a concern because I'm like, this man's rent just got multiplied by three. Is he really going to be able to pay it every month? So like maybe another month or two later, the Cousin is saying, like, you know, I'm struggling to pay the full rent or whatever, but give me some time and I'll do it. Carl is like, yeah, I'll give you the time. I've been in difficult situations myself, I understand. And Richard's sort of saying the same thing. That tenant disappeared like a thief in the night and then blocked Richard, Carl, and Jovan's numbers. Less than a year into owning this house, two months of rent stolen by Richard another month or two disappeared with that particular tenant and Jovan is here like what have I gotten myself into that's about as much of the story as I think I want to share the quick aftermath of that is once those tenants were out it's like okay we can get new tenants good tenants that pay their first, last, and security and have proof of income and have all of that. And that's what Jovan was pushing for. But that's not necessarily what happened. Maybe you'll find out about that in a future horror story. Oh but, my god. This is yeah. <laughs> Poor Jovan. Oh god. Yeah, it was, it was some tough times. Watching him go through it, but it's like you can't really... It's hard to get involved in someone else's life like that. And it also sucks because when it's your family, you'd never think your family member is going to steal from you. And even after you do, you really want to forgive them. You don't want to like now be suspicious of someone for the rest of your life, especially when you have something you share, like a house that you have to sort of manage together. Yeah, that that's like a golden rule. You shouldn't really do businesses with your families, with your family members. So that is my shared story through Jovan. Do you have any questions? Well, I just, I would like to know if Jovan is doing okay now. I'm like, I don't even know this person. I'm worried for, for him. <laughs> Jovan <laughs> is doing much better. He's um grown as a person and learned to stand up for himself a bit more and be more wary of people, even if they're in his own family. So I think he's doing a lot better. Yay! That's great. Good to know. <laughs> There's like a happy ending at the end of this. Oh my god. Scary story, honestly. 
Some of my adulting horror stories are actual horror stories. Not all, but definitely some. Oh my God. I don't know. It's like, you feel stressed and it's not even about you. You're not even related. You don't know that person, but you feel stressed, like just hearing everything. Yeah. I couldn't imagine. Just, it's like, it's buying a house you can't afford thinking someone else is going to pay for it. And then suddenly they're not. And it's like you, you knew as a college student with no job, or whatever, with just like a few scholarships and whatever, you knew you couldn't afford to pay these mortgage payments. So what are you going to do? But he worked it out. Between the three of them, they worked it out eventually. It's pretty crazy because hearing everything, I'm thinking, what's in it for him? Because when you purchase a home, your credit score goes down just by virtue of you getting a new loan, right? And then his uncle is getting the profit or his uh, cousin, and he's just he just serves as, you know, the intermediary person that the money's uh, taking out of his account. That's it. So he gets like all the headaches, but not really the benefits. So I'm like, when would you go through that? And I, th- I think once again, it's it's for family, right? Like he and his uncle had a good relationship. And so he would want to help his uncle. And I think in Jovan's mind, yes, my score will go down, but I'm not going to I'm not going to buy a house or use credit for anything for a while. By the time I'm ready to, it'll go back. And more than likely, because Carl is making money off this house, Carl would come back and support him down the line. But I think I think he really just wanted to help his uncle, really. Yeah, that's very commendable. But it, it's, it just gets tricky when it's family members. Absolutely. You have to top that story, though. So I'm expecting... <laughs> Goosebump, tingles, heart palpitations. Oh my God. Well, so let's see. Let's put things into perspective. I graduate college, right? I get a job and, you know, things are going all right. At the time, I was living in like a tiny apartment in a borough of New York City. In an undisclosed location. In an undisclosed location, but it's New York City. And um, I thought to myself, okay, I think it's time to get a bigger place. So I start looking for apartments to rent. And I'm looking at, like, different locations. I'm very open. And I start looking around, looking around. And basically, every single apartment is a piece of crap, overpriced. And the ones that were, like, decent looking, they were just way too expensive for for what they were. You know, I'm talking about like 2300 2500 like it's just some crazy amount. And I'm here thinking like, nah, this is stupid. I'm not going to pay that much for rent. It's, it's ridiculous. Welcome so I, New York City. Exactly. You know, that's like New York City. You're supposed uh, to have six roommates. That's how you pull it off. Yes. Yeah. You're supposed to have like six, five roommates, each one paying like a thousand for a room. <laughs> so... I go on Trulia, because that's where I'm looking at the places for rent. And then I'm like, wait a minute, how much is it to buy a house? So I just go, I look at some homes, and then at the bottom, Trulia has like a mortgage calculator. And I see that if you put like the 20% down payment, the mortgage is way less than the rent. So I remember telling my my parents, hey, I think I want to buy a house because... 
if I'm staying here, there's no way I'm paying this much on rent. It's stupid. I'm paying someone else's mortgage and giving them profit. So that's sort of how it began. I started saving up more diligently for this house and um, started searching for a couple of places here and there. And while I was doing that, I came across, so in New York City, there are programs if you are a first-time home buyer. And um, I came across one of them in like New Jersey. And I go there, I talk to the lady, we clicked off, and she's basically like, it's like a bank, and they, they like really help you out in getting like a loan if you're a first-time home buyer. And I really like like this lady's like personality, and she was also from the same country that I was. And it was like really good vibes. We just hit it off. So I'm working with her. I'm looking for my house. And then she says, hey, I can recommend a, a real estate agent for you. At first, I was like, uh, not really. I don't want a real estate agent. I think I'm like doing pretty well myself. Like, you know, um, I've lived here for an amount of years. I think I know the neighborhoods, neighborhoods well. But then I decided to say yes because it was my first time. So I met this real estate agent and he takes us around a couple of places. None of them spiked our interest. And then I was like at work one time and I was like not that busy. So I started to go on Trulia and I find this place that is in a pretty it's an okay neighborhood. You know, it's like quiet neighborhood and the house is like within our budget. So I decided to go there. And when I go in, the house is like pretty old. And at first I hate it. I'm like, holy shit, this, this house is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I'm just like disgusted at this point. And mind you, I'm with my dad because he decided to come with me to look at the house and everything. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm like just disgusted the whole time. And I go up, basically tour the whole house. And as I'm touring it, I realize, okay, this house has potential. It does need work. But it has potential. And at the time that I was trying to purchase my home, the market was doing way too good <laughs> for my own good. Like it was a, a seller's market. Homes were like going fast. They were going for way more than the asking price. And I realized, well, I'm not going to be able to purchase a home if I keep on waiting because the market is just going to keep on going up. So I decided to say yes to this house. Hmm. Um, yeah. I put an offer on the house. The real estate agent is tagging along, even though I was the one that found the home. And I'm applying to like the first time home buyers grant and like other grants so I can have like a bigger down payment. So those are like three things. Um, as I come to realize the grant is taking a bit long because they want to, it's just like a lot of paperwork and, and the grant just takes a long time. So then. The agent from the sellers starts calling my agent. But mind you, the seller's agent was apparently getting like really aggressive. He was like impatient and he wanted to know what was taking so long, what's going on. And like just pushing my agent and my agent, instead of like holding him off, he's calling me and he's giving me anxiety. Because basically, he's like relaying his message verbatim. And I'm like, what the fuck am I paying you for? (laughs) Every time I looked at his number, I would actually get anxiety. Because I knew that all he was going to do was to like relay 
the seller's agent message. And I was like, no, just no. Like, and I told him, listen, there's a lot of coulda, shoulda, woulda, but you calling me just to tell me what he's saying is not helping me. And I, I will tell him, hey, we're working on it. We're moving the paperwork. Things are moving along. It's just that it takes time. So at this point, was the house secured for you? Meaning, um, even if it's like a, it's like a one week window of like, I've put down some type of payment or some type of signature that says I have a week to purchase the house or else it's back on the market. Or was it still like not guaranteed where they could sell it to someone else? No, it was, we were in contract by that time. Okay. Yeah. By that time we were in contract and, um, it was, it was going to sell. And like, I'll be honest with you. When I looked at the house before I went to see it for the first time, there was a family getting out from seeing it. And I saw like the look on their faces and I was like, Oh yeah, this, this house is not going to sell <laughs> that fast. So it's like, I have a, I have wiggle room. I basically had time and I knew that nobody was going to put an offer on the home. <laughs> at least not someone that like new people that new construction. That's uh, the caveat there. Fast forward, the grants get approved, the mortgage gets moving, which was a very tortuous process in itself. It's very stressful, just the whole thing, <laughs> at least in New York City. So then we sign the papers. The mortgage gets approved. I get the house. Great. Yay. I'm a homeowner. <laughs> um, <laughs> so then I remember, uh, my, my parents, they come from back home to like help me start fixing it. So in our heads, we're like, okay, we have to renovate the bathroom, renovate the kitchen and change the floors because they had a carpet everywhere, which is like actually Did they have carpet in the bathroom and no. the kitchen. Yes, they had carpet in the kitchen, which was disgusting. <laughs> like, I don't know how these people lived here, honestly. Like, I'm not a fan of carpet because you clean them and you try to clean them. But still, there's always dust that gets attached to the fibers. It's and and carpets make dust. Like, as the fibers break down, they become dust effectively. Yes, that too. So we needed to, like, replace the floors. That was, like, a given. So... I'm at work and my dad is like starting to remove, you know, the sink and everything from the bathroom. And after lunch, I receive a message from him and he tells me, call the lawyers. The bathroom <laughs> is rotten. And I'm like, what? So basically the wall underneath, like all the tile is, is basically rotten. So at this point, I want to ask you, yes. did you have the house appraised? The house was appraised. Okay, because an appraisal doesn't mean anything, because even with um, Jovan's story, the house was appraised, but they never figured out that the air conditioner was dying, but still wanted to ask. Yeah, I, actually, we got the home appraised twice. Oh, wow. Yes, and it's it's just that these are things that, and we couldn't see signs of it on the walls. You know, everything is covered by tile. And um, yeah, like it wasn't apparent, I guess. But also, we got it appraised twice because you know how it took like too long? So the appraisal mm -hmm. expired. So I had to pay mm. another appraisal. 
the first one did a really bad job. I gotta say that. The first appraiser, he did like a terrible job. Like, it was just like on the surface appraisal, very, very superficial. The second one, he did like a better job, but at that time we were already like almost there, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Like, we were almost there and uh, we kind of knew that this was going to be like a fixer-upper, but we just didn't know it was going to be that bad. So when you say it was rotting, like I could figure like, you know, rotting wood or whatever, but was there like mold in the house? Thankfully, there was not mold. It was just like rotted wood. Did it mean the foundation was weak or was it not like structural? I'm going to get to that. <laughs> okay. So yeah, my dad, um, he uncovers the wall. It's rotten. And then... He starts removing the tiles from the floor, and it's rotten. He takes out the wood from the floor, and um, my current house, it doesn't have a like basement. It's like a crawl space. So he uncovers the wood from the floor. He gets underneath the crawl space, and a few of the beams are effectively rotten. And then, at that point, that anxiety that went away after paying off that good-for-nothing agent comes back <laughs> tenfold. And at this point, I'm calling the lawyer and I tell him what's going on. And he tells me the most outrageous thing, which is don't tell anyone. And I'm like, what the hell do you mean? Don't tell anyone. Like, hello, aren't I protected? I signed a contract. What in the world? After that, he's like not picking up the calls. That lawyer. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yes. I'm telling you. He's not picking up the calls. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, what the frick is this? And so then I started researching on my own. Um, can I ask a clarifying question? The lawyer yes. and the real estate agent are two separate people? Yes, yes. They were not from the same company. Okay. And your lawyer told you... Don't tell anyone, and then just went silent. Oh my god! Yeah, and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, isn't there something protecting me? And then, in my haste, I did some research, you know, to see what could be done, and I couldn't really find any rules. I did go into some forums, which you know are as accurate as they can be, and there's a like a similar story, but that one is involving mold, where the buyers. They were able to work out something with the bank where the bank kind of paused the loan while they fixed it. But it basically seemed like the buyer had to fix it because they purchased it, which is stupid. So then at this point, I'm telling my dad he's outraged. But then he's like, you know what? Let's, let's just work on it. And partially the reason why he decided to, to work on it is because the apartment where I was living before purchasing the home, the landlord is like a family friend. Right. And he he had been telling me for a while, hey, um, my brother, he's coming here to live and he needs some place to stay. So could you please like move out? <laughs> so my brother. <laughs> yes. So my brother can move in here. So that's sort of like one of the reasons why I couldn't really one take my time at looking at other options. And two, where my dad decided to like buy the bullet and start fixing the home. Um, I still don't talk to that family friend, by the way. Like, 
fuck him. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we, we started to start fixing the house and basically it was my dad, me, my mom, and, um, a couple of people that he knew because he used to do construction. And we basically, like, literally every day after work, I will drive to the house, put on some construction clothes and just go underneath a crawl space and start, like, replacing the beams. And it took us, like, three months to have all the beams replaced, all the ones that were rotten. And after that, it took us, like, four additional months to then do the cosmetic work that we wanted to do from the beginning. You know, it was a very, very long process, very annoying and, like, anxiety-driven. But now I can say that it's in a much better state than it was before. And through the whole process, I was just very angry, very annoyed, and, like, feeling just anxious. But then I'm like, you know what, let's, let's look at the positives. And it's that at the time... I honestly didn't have that much money saved up because I had been working, you know, my real job for like a year. And I'll be honest with you, you know, at the beginning, you're earning more than what you were as a college student. and You're going out and like not being as responsible. So then what I had saved up wasn't as much to like actually buy the more expensive home that was probably in better condition. So taking it with a grain of salt. I remember my mom, she kept saying, if the buyers had taken care of this house as they should have, then we probably wouldn't have been able to afford it. And I was like, you know what? You're right. So that's, that's my story. I don't know. I feel like it's not as bad as Jovan's, just because I kind of knew what I was getting myself into. Not that much. But yeah. I will say... I really like the perspective that you and your mom took on it, you know, looking at for the silver lining where it took a lot of work, but ultimately you wanted a home that you can enjoy living in. And while it was a little more work than you'd planned, you made it happen. Yes. Yes. It, you know, it, it, it wasn't easy. It, I'll, I'll be honest. Like it really wasn't easy. It was just very, yeah. I know that you're an engineer by degree and by occupation did engineering help you with fixing the house like does moving support beams count as mass transfer (laughs) not as much as mass transfer but i will say i have a better insight on like mechanical engineering my physics is better now too (laughs) Mm. yes it did help a lot actually the fact that you know we're good at math and everything it, it helped tremendously yeah. Brief plug for engineering majors. Yes. We are useful outside of work. <laughs> so, now we can move into the why did it happen portion of our discussion. It always ends up that we talk about it a little bit in telling the story, but I think it's still fun to sort of focus on it a little bit and be a little introspective. On the side of Jovan, I really do think it just comes down to, one, being younger, maybe being a little bit naive, but also loving your family and trusting your family and thinking or wanting the best for them. And the combination of that with sort of having your guard down a bit, I think, was the main 
cause there. You know, I think if it had been one of his friends who asked, he probably wouldn't have gone through with it. And he probably would have seen a lot of red flags happening a lot earlier. Yeah, definitely. How about you? So why did it happen? It was a combination of, like, not having a big time frame to purchase a home because we felt rushed on the side of my landlord because he wanted to um supposedly rent the apartment to his brother. And also the fact that we didn't have enough funds to have other options. And I think a little bit also on, you know, it was like the first time so you don't know as much. Even if you try to read up on things, you don't know until you are in the situation. <laughs> Definitely. I know for me, it's like whenever I'm doing a, like a big first, for me, it was probably buying a car or even getting my first apartment. I do a lot of research until my head hurts. Like I'm so full of information. I'm not sure what's most important and what's going to happen. But ultimately, you still make mistakes because you're still, you know, it's still your first time. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like, you can prepare yourself and you should prepare yourself. You should totally do it, but you still don't know what could happen. But it is definitely better to go there with some information than with none. Let's move to what advice we have for future home buyers. And I'll preface that by saying, we're not real estate agents. We're not experts on purchasing a home. We, but really you, are just someone who's purchased a home and are sharing your insights from what you learned during the experience. So an advice that I would have for people that are thinking about it is do your research. Every state is different and every state has different rules here and there, but I feel like everything is just stressful. It's a lot of paperwork, and especially because of the market crash in like 2010, they have placed more restrictions and they want more information from you. Like the amount of information. At one point, I'm like, do you want like a blood sample? Like they asked so much information from me that I was just like, holy moly, like, damn, <laughs> you want a video blog of what I do every day? But they do want to see documentation. So, have your documents ready. If you work under the table, make sure that you have not a budget. There's a word for it. Some sort of tracking document that shows how much you make and how much you spend. Because they will want to see all those documentations. So uh, proof of income? Yeah, proof of income. And like, oh, one more thing. When I purchased the home, I had just been on the workforce for like a year. So... I actually needed to get a cosigner because even though I had like proof of income and it was legit, if you come out of college with a bachelor's degree, any bachelor's degree, and you have a job, you need two years on that job. So that way you don't need a cosigner. If you have mm. less than two years, then you will need a cosigner. That's like one thing that I didn't know and ended up finding out. So my dad had to get roped in <laughs> into the process. Another thing, listen, you do not need a real estate agent. You don't. If you know the neighborhood, if you know the city, 
you doing your research and asking people is enough. Because I found out that that real estate agent was just useless. He added to the gripe of everything. No, you don't need a real estate agent at all. I want to add on to that. It's true. If you if you know your area well, you know the neighborhoods, you know where you want to live and and where you don't want to live, you probably don't need a real estate agent. But, for example, you could be someone who got a job in a new state and you know nothing about the new state and, like, Google only tells you so much. What one of my friends told me who was in the process of buying a house recently is, your real estate agent is supposed to be your advocate. So if you don't feel confident in the house you're buying or the process you're going through or you feel pressured by the real estate agent, that means it's time to get a new one because they shouldn't be another person who's putting pressure on you. They're supposed to be working for you and supporting you and making sure that you are as confident with your decision to buy the house as you can be. Yeah, I I completely agree. That is on the nail. That is exactly right. They're supposed to make the process at least less burden and not more. So don't worry. I I left like a very thorough review everywhere I could leave it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, about everyone. About everyone. (laughs) Let the people of New York know. Yes. And what other? For home inspectors, I made the mistake of asking somebody that I knew that was on the process of also purchasing a house to like, let me know the name of the inspector. And they said, oh yeah, they, they did an okay job. And like, I thought that that was okay. But then the house that they purchased was in a better condition. So definitely do that, your research with the home inspector, ask around. And the last thing is try to prepare as much, but it is a stressful process. At least in New York City, it's, it's very, very stressful. So just, just be prepared and, and do your best. And then, yeah, you'll be a homeowner and you have to pay mortgage and pay taxes. But hey, at least it's yours, right? Something I would add from my experience as a renter and just listening to other people buy homes. One is, you know, I think when people first go looking at a home, they're looking for things they like. Like they're not looking for bad. They're looking for like, can I feel comfortable here? Do I like the paint or would I need to replace it? Um, do the, do the bathrooms look nice? Is the shower big enough? But I feel like they're looking to see good. And so when a place comes that at least on the surface looks good, you ignore a lot of the bad. And so for me, I love my apartment right now. I really do. But when I first came, I was like, this is too perfect. I'm missing something. This is too perfect. How can this place be like? as nice or as good of a fit for me as it is. And it's only after I move in that I'm like, some of these outlets don't work. There's staples sticking up from where the tile crosses over to the carpet. There's random like dent marks in places and the shelf of this closet is falling apart. If you have the time, go to the place once to see if it's a good fit to do that like rose-colored glasses look. And then If you can, go again and this time try to be really intrusive. Like, okay, I like this place, sure, but where's all the damage? Where's the things I dislike? When it's not your home or especially if it's like someone's just moving out or still living there, you don't want to like get too deep in other people's stuff. But really 
look for the mistakes. Be like, can I check out the crawl space? Look for the things that you're not going to see until you're more comfortable living there because you want to avoid those situations where something's really damaged and then you have to um, pay for it. Also, check all the appliances. Jovan's story was the air conditioner. I have another friend who I think their boiler was on the verge of dying and it costed like $13,000 to replace that. It's weird to go to a house and ask to check out the boiler, but if you can, it may not hurt. And I should say, maybe you don't check out the boiler because who I don't know anything about boilers. But like, if you've got a plumber friend, if you've got someone who works on houses, just come with you and like check on some of the major expensive home items. Take that opportunity. Yeah, that's definitely true. Open doors, close doors, see how they feel, all of that, definitely. That's something that you should do. Don't feel like ashamed to do it. This is your chance. Feel empowered and do it. Go for it. Because then you, you're going to be the one living with it. And also, there are things, if you find things, like let's say you, you're considering the house, you like it, and you begin the contract process. And after the appraisal, or like you yourself, you notice a couple of things, you may be able to drive the price down and say, hey, if I purchase this home, I'm going to have to fix X, Y, and Z. That's going to be about this X amount. I would like to negotiate the price and ask for a lower price. You know, that's obviously depending on the market. Um, right now, the market is crazy high, but that's something that you definitely should do. And that's something that you can use in your favor. That's something I've heard as well. And if they don't bring the price down, sometimes they'll agree to fix it for you. And then like they might get their friends and family to fix whatever you said was broken so that it's relatively inexpensive on their part and the price of the house stays the same. Yeah, yeah that's true. We had like a combination of both happen. And, <laughs> you know, they say they fixed some things. And like they did, but, you know, it was definitely something to like get it out of the way. Get these people off my back. Let's just fix it real quick. It's not as, <laughs> you know, good and thorough as you yourself will do it. Yeah. Anything else you'd like to add? Um, Things that I've been seeing online, you know, like a lot of uh, millennials on the Internet, they have been saying, oh, you know, boomers or age. Uh, at this time in their lives, they were able to afford it because the system was different. But now it is more complicated for us to do, you know, to purchase homes and like to have to reach um, financial stability. And, you know, I think there is some truth to that in the fact that during COVID, the market went down, right? It plummeted. And uh, a lot of people took advantage of that. But then now that things are beginning to reopen, and people are flocking back to, to the cities, at least like in this area and like New Jersey, the prices of the homes have gone up to a staggering rate. Like homes that like two years ago were, let's say, 500,000, they're like 700,000. And what's crazy is that, for example, the home that you're asking like 700,000 for, it will sell for like 100,000 more than the asking price and that 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 is crazy and you know i think in this day and age it's, it's really hard for people like the younger generations to be able to afford a house especially like in the city areas because 
it's just so much more expensive. And to that, I want to add, I will say it is really hard. It's not impossible. And I think a lot of people don't know, but I need to put it out there. At least in New York, there are organizations that are geared towards one, first time home buyers and to anybody purchasing a home in the five boroughs. So there are a lot, a lot of programs that a lot of young people qualify for. You know, you are actually able to apply for grants that you don't have to pay back. You know, this is, these are actually grants that are for you to incentivize people to purchase homes, period, like people, not companies. So take advantage of that. Do your research. At the time, when I was purchasing a home, I was able to take advantage of like one grant just because of timing, but there are many more and a lot of them are stackable. You are able to apply to, for multiple grants and you can have even like $40,000 for down payment without counting your own money. So wow. yeah, yeah, it is, it is possible. It's just, you have to do your research and it does make the process longer because the way they treat it is like a quasi loan where you have to provide all of the documentation to them, bank statements and work letters and pay stubs and all that stuff. And then they kind of treat it as a loan, but you don't have to pay it back. It's just the way they do it to process it. And also these institutions, they give you a course and they sort of like explain the process to you and why there is so much paperwork involved and what each paperwork means. So it's something that we should all take advantage of. It's called Neighborhood Housing Services of New York City. I believe they have an office in every borough. And I think there is something analogous to this for New York State. If you're out of New York, you should check with your state if there are organizations similar to this. You know, they want to encourage people to be financially empowered and they also help you with looking with affordable lending. When I was taking the course with them, I learned that, I don't know if they're still doing it because some time has passed, but HSBC, that bank, you can do like a partnership with them where you open like a special account and you deposit money and they match your deposits up to... 7,000. So when you deposit 7,000, they'll match those 7,000. You'll have 14,000. And you can use that towards your down payment or closing cost. The only caveat there is that then the loan has to be through that bank. Another mm -hmm. one, yeah, called Neighborhood Lift. And this is with Wells Fargo. And they're telling me, hey, with Neighborhood Lift, you can get up to $20,000. You can use it towards down payment or closing cost. And that's it. And you don't have to be a first time home buyer. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. What's the catch? Do I have to do a loan with them? And the guy from NHS told me no. And I was like, huh? So, it's so they just gave you $20,000? Yeah. And you don't have a commitment with them. And I was like, this is too good to be true. What's the agreed? What's what's going on? And then he tells me a few years back, Wells Fargo did something very illegal. 
basically people that had mortgages with them, they were illegally put through forlow. No, not forlow. Uh, what's that word? They were put for foreclosure. Uh, foreclosure illegally. Illegally. So basically they were like forced into a foreclosure. The families obviously lost their homes. Their credit score ruined, obviously. And uh, they did that with a lot of families. And basically, here in New York City, the court, they deemed them as, as guilty. And basically, in order for people not to go to jail, they made this program. It leaves like a really sour taste in my mouth that they're, quote unquote, helping people get this grant to purchase this home. But it's basically due to the fact that they wrongfully forced these previous homeowners into a foreclosure. So that's one more grant that you want to use if you, if you don't mind their back, the background. But all I want to say is there are ways you just have to put an ungodly amount of effort. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to adulting. Yeah, welcome uh-huh. to adulting, especially nowadays. Yeah. What's interesting is the housing market is very similar here where like a house's value will go up by like $50,000 in a couple months and people are buying houses sight unseen because if they don't buy it within like just a couple days or less, it'll get sold by someone else. It's crazy. And I'm, I want to get a house and it's almost like every day that I don't officially start looking, I'm just like, that's, that's another (laughs) 10,000. But. I'll do it when I'm ready. Yeah. Or maybe I'll just wait until our next economic crisis. We'll see. I I honestly think this bubble is going to burst. It, it went up way too fast. And I think, yeah, it's getting to the point where there are people out there that somehow can still afford it, but it's going to get to a point where people will not, right? <laughs> I want to believe that. It's just, it doesn't seem sustainable the way it has been growing. What's also interesting, I'm going to make the disclaimer again, Adulting Horror Stories makes no claims whatsoever to the criminality of Wells Fargo or lack thereof. However, and you wouldn't know this because the season hasn't fully dropped yet, but I recorded an episode on credit cards with my brother and he was calling Wells Fargo criminals too. (laughs) With, um, With some other shady things that they may or may not have done this is all hearsay <laughs> oh man well yeah well Fargo, they are a piece of work let's just leave it at that <laughs> let's leave it at that when you apply for those loans do you have to already be in the process of buying the home like already be under contract or can you sort of secure all this money and then a month later, find your house. So, yes, yes, you can. The way that you can do it is that you apply for it. A couple of those grants, they require you to take the course where they walk you through home ownership, the basics. And that's something that you can do before even starting to look for a house. I remember when I was taking the course, there was a lady that she was thinking about it and she was moving from Florida. So she hadn't even started looking yet and she was applying. So the way it works is that the initial paperwork, you can get it started, get it ahead. 
And then when the program needs, you know, the information about the house, like how much it is in which borough and all of that, then that's when the process stops, you know, it pauses until you have secured a home. So that's something that you can do beforehand, no problem. Awesome. So I feel like for anyone listening that's like stressing over the things to look into for buying a house and not getting screwed, take some time to relax and look for all this free money. Yes, yes. Yes, take advantage of it. Come on. <laughs> it's research that pays you or pays for your home. So, yeah. I would say, you know, a couple of them have some caveats. Like, there's one that I didn't take that basically you don't have to pay back. But if you sell the house in less than 10 years, you have to, like, give them back what they gave you. But each year is, like, 10%. It depreciates. It depreciates. So it, each year is 10% less. The one with Wells Fargo is similar in that if you sell the house within five, in less than five years, then you pay them back 20% less each year. Okay. It's, it's not depending, like, for example, if you sell your house now that the market is crazy, giving back Wells Fargo 80% or 60% of what they gave you is honestly nothing. <laughs> I would add on that, yeah, because there is potential fine print and caveats, make sure to read the fine print. Don't be afraid to get a lawyer involved, which brings me back to the question, what on earth happened to your lawyer that, like, ghosted you? After he said, don't say anything, What, like, where, where <laughs> else did that go? So, uh, basically, that happened, right? And, you know, since my father, he just decided to to just bite the bullet and start fixing the house, we never came in contact until I received a bill for taxes. Then I contacted him again. And I guess this time around, he deemed the work to be reasonable. I don't know. And he told me, oh, just send me a copy and, and I'll send it to the title company. That's something that they need to take care of. It was like a very easy fix. Then he contacted me for that. And, and that was it. Never heard from them again. Left them a really bad review in, on Google, Yelp. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Maybe we need a lawyer's horror story one oh, day. Definitely. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to add? Um, I will say you, you gotta think about it. And, and if you're thinking about it, make sure you save as much as possible. That down payment needs to be hefty. <laughs> um, I think that's it on my end. Yeah. Being able to save is important. Yes. Well, is there anything you'd like to advertise? So say YouTube channel, Instagram page, favorite charity. You've already done some great work for um those housing programs, but is there anything else you'd like to add there? Well, if you want to see glimpses of my home, you can follow my page on Instagram called my dawning coffee. Um, I basically share videos of me making coffee in my house. <laughs> Because I love coffee. <laughs> and um, also when I go out and have coffee. Yeah, if you're a coffee lover, just search me in Instagram at my darling coffee. Can you spell it out for our audience? Yes. 
So that's going to be M-Y-D-A-W-N-I-N-G-C-O-F-F-E-E. Awesome. I was worried there might be some underscores in there. No underscores. (laughs) With all of that said, this has been Adulting Horror Stories with your one and only host, Dion, and my amazing guest, Agatha. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. So happy to. And I will see you in the next one. All righty. It was a pleasure. And I just got to say, that family friend, later, way later, I find out that he ended up renting the place where I live to, like, some lady with a dog. So it wasn't even his brother. So, Mm. yeah, so I'm like, were you really, like, shitting on me or, like, whatever? So that's why I don't talk to him. (laughs) Did you say, was he shitting on you or cheating on you? Oh, like shitting us in like shit. Like, okay. You know, like, you I was like, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's like lying to me, basically. Like, yeah. Telling me that it's his brother, but it turns out he just wanted to rent it, you know, for, a, for more money. Honestly, if it was between a regular tenant and a tenant with a dog, I'd pick the tenant with a dog, too.